Nation, Mossy and PC. Shark Tag Nation, our five nights a week. I'll make you a million just like that. So take the deal. You just got whacked. Get hooked. Shark Tank tonight, starting at 8 Eastern on CNBC. Are we going to have some, like, umbrella drinks? I'm out. This holiday season, give the most eternal, unique gift of the year. Name a star after someone. I'm Rocky Moselle with International Star Registry. For $54 and a call to 800-282-3333 or visit StarRegistry.com, we'll name a star after anyone on your gift list. The star name will be recorded in book form in the U.S. Copyright Office, and we will send an incredible personalized gift package. Call the Star Registry, 800-282-3333 or visit StarRegistry.com for the gift that shines forever. Fund has been established for people who survived the dark days of World War II. CBS's Larry Miller is at the Foreign Desk. France has agreed to pay $60 million to Holocaust victims transported to concentration camps by its state rail company, SNCF. Spouses and heirs are included in the deal hammered out with the U.S. The railroad moved 76,000 Jews to Nazi death camps during World War II. Just 3,000 survived. The agreement means the French rail firm will now be able to bid on major U.S. Contracts. Larry Miller, CBS News, London. A bill that would block suspected Nazi war criminals from receiving Social Security benefits is heading to President Obama for his signature. The Senate gave final approval to the measure that shuts a loophole allowing suspected Nazis to be paid millions of dollars in benefits. Investigations found dozens of suspected ex-Nazis had gotten payments even after being forced out of the U.S. Steve Kaith and CBS News. Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com disruptive. This holiday season, give the most eternal, unique gift of the year. Name a star after someone. I'm Rocky Moselle with International Star Registry. For $54 and a call to 800-282-3333 or visit StarRegistry.com, we'll name a star after anyone on your gift list. The star name will be recorded in book form in the U.S. Copyright Office, and we will send an incredible personalized gift package. Call the Star Registry, 800-282-3333 or visit StarRegistry.com for the gift that shines forever. Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com, and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week. Hello, I'm William Eastman. I'm the managing partner of GrowthWorks and executive producer of today's show, Richmond Biz Live. Um, and we are your weekly business talk radio show broadcast live from the gorgeous studios of WLE News Talk 990 in downtown Richmond. And what we're going to be doing today is, well, we're going to be picking up on our theme for this season. And season three has been, you've made your money, you're doing well. Now the choice is, do I do it again? 
reinvent the company, grow it, maybe double, triple the size, or I've had enough and it's time to take my money and go do something else. And those two themes we've been running all season. This week and every other week, uh, we have that theme. This week, it's, no, I had so much fun, I want to make more money. Or, that ain't enough money, I need more. Something like that. So, that's the track that we're going to be taking today. And if you're an active listener, you, what you know about the show is this, is that finally, there is a resource for business owners, not just startups and, entre um, and entrepreneurs, but owners who have been business for many, many years to realize their dream and make the business pay off for the years of sacrifice and investment that you've made. Every week, what we provide you is an interesting mix, at least I think so, since I did most of the research, a practical research and experience gained from growing and selling our businesses. And basically what I'm saying is that everybody on this show is a thought leader, whether it's nationally, internationally, or locally known. They are experts in their fields of finance, marketing, sales, production, productivity, human resources, etc. And yet they're also very, very successful business owners. So they understand this in a way that no university, no matter how good the business department is, kind of gets it. And so that's really what we're about. And our research, the things that we use to get this done was based upon research of companies that went from zero to huge, zero to billion, who did it predominantly through self-financing, not the Googles of the world who on day one, had $150 million from Silicon Valley. Hell, if you want, if you want a billion dollars, I'll make you a bet. You give me, you give me 150 million today. And in five years, I'll give you a billion. Anybody can do that. It is the entrepreneur who starts off by taking their savings account, mortgaging the house and maxing out the credit cards. That's the U S economy. Those are the people that are making it. And that's the people that we're talking about. So if you want to be here, if you want to be part of this show, every Friday at 12.06, be here and dial in. And the way you can get involved with this is by calling, which is the join, 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Or you can watch us live by going to richmondbizlive.com, our website. And on the opening page, you'll have three choices. It'll say watch, listen, or join. Click the watch, and you'll be on the live cam in the studio or you can click the listen, and then what you can do is that you basically can listen to the show streaming over the internet. Uh, so with that, let's start off uh, today's show. Going back to the area of finance, and back is Linda Heath from Financial Holographics. Hey, Bill. Good seeing you again, Linda. Good How are things? Again. All is well. How are you doing? Oh man, I tell you what, I had I we had great news in um, in Virginia this week uh, down in Southwest Virginia. I had a management meeting on Wednesday. And we are now within the 90s, 90% of all our financial targets, our productivity numbers, our revenue. Now, we are still a ways off on cost, but I, I believe I'm, I'm going to stop being VP in two months because I'll get the cost numbers in. And finally, the owner is going to be taking home the money he needs to take home. Excellent. And rebuilding that capital base, right? That's right. Well, that's a, that's a conversation he's going to have with you very shortly. I sure hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you remember the last time we were here, we touched on crowdsourcing. That, you know, we talked about that. You got my interest because I intend to IPO my company. And one of the things I looked at was, was crowdsourcing a way to go because all the companies I studied, if there was one thing they all had in common, is that if they went for financing too often, there was nothing left. And the, mm -hmm. and the rule of thumb was twice. The third time you go, you may get the money you need 
but you own nothing. You okay? You give up the company. You gave up the company. Got it. Well, I I told you I would reach out. I think I I talked about Wealth Wealth Forge, a local yes. Richmond company that's developing a national presence, and what an interesting story they have. And um, so I enjoyed it, in, invited Fred Bryant, who is co-founder and COO, to join us. Awesome. Today. And uh, I believe he's on the phone. Fred, this is Linda. Um, I hope you, Bill. I hope you've put Wealth Forge on the website on our. Uh, I did not, but LinkedIn. Everything we sent on on LinkedIn and Twitter and okay. Facebook today has a link to your site. Good. Well, I want to introduce you to Fred Bryant. Fred, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me, Linda. Oh, I'm so glad you could join us. Um, how would you like to kick off introducing our audience to crowdsourcing, crowdfunding from your point of view? Um, I guess I can just give a, just a very high-level overview of uh, what we do and you know how we do it. Basically, for us, what we do is we work in the world of private securities. So any security that's not registered with the SEC, whether that be a private company raising capital, a real estate developer, a fund raising capital, we basically function as the PayPal for for them. And we consider ourselves basically PayPal on steroids. We do um, all the handling of money, document signatures, kind of make that entire fragmented process uh, simple. It's basically a simple checkout process. Well, it sounds like a painful process. And I think I, I told you when I invited you to join us that I had been to a Kiter um, panel and they had a, a group of finance people the first half and then they had attorneys and especially in listening to the attorneys talk about um, all the ways to do it wrong. And uh, your name came up, WealthForge came up in a very positive light. And that kind of made me think of bringing you in. So before we jump into some maybe case studies, I'd like to tell everybody how we met. Um, was it 2009? What year were you a senior at U of R? It was uh, spring of 2010. 10. Okay. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, I was, Fred was one of the students that participated in their entrepreneurial program and presented a business plan. It was U of R's business plan contest, and I ended up being one of the judges. And Fred gave an amazing um, introduction to his business plan, which was actually underway, I think, at that point. Um, what was interesting is that he was very, very aggressive in explaining why they were doing it and um, how they were doing it correctly, and they were going to put all the other companies who were doing it wrong out of business. Um, and I think the judges were actually a little intimidated by you, Fred, but you had the best business plan, in my opinion, and I voted for you. Thank you. Yeah, at that, uh, at that time, we, had, uh, we were undergoing kind of the, the regulatory gauntlet that we had to go through to get the, uh, all the requisite approvals to be able to really transact in a manner that is uh, that's legal in compliance with all the requisite you know, federal securities laws. Um, so... Sure, at that time there was uh, a lot of frustrations because a lot of people just went and, went and did whatever they wanted and kind of ignored everything that was uh, that was supposed to be done in the best practices in the industry. And um, so, and that I guess goes to your comments about putting them out of business. Um, why was that so important to you? Um, because I, you know I'm a big believer in efficient, transparent markets, and mm -hmm. when you have an opaque marketplace and unregulated players playing in that space, it creates an opportunity for bad actors to come into the space, and especially when you're playing with uh, playing in the world of private securities that are you know, very risky um, and very opaque. You know, there's an opportunity for a lot of people to get hurt if they aren't done properly. I think that's a really good point because everybody has heard the, um, the terms, but they don't necessarily know what it means. And uh, before we start asking you to give us some case studies of how you've helped companies or 
uh, in various ways, I wanted to tell Bill the rest of the story. So he was in the competition, uh, intimidated the judges because he just knew exactly where he was going in life. And um, here's what happened. Three weeks ago, I read in Richmond Business, I guess, that uh, Wealth Forge was named one of the Richmond companies to watch. And there are some big names in town that have wow. been named that way. Yes. So they're, they're on that list, um, moving and shaking fast and moving forward. And then two weeks ago, I was at the Kiter presentation, and you had these attorneys who deal in this space all the time talking about they're the people doing it right, the people doing it wrong. And then there's Wealth Forge changing the market. Well, it's, I could I could see people being intimidated because being young and then going out there and going, I'm going to change the nature of the business. That's right. I can see the response on right. people's faces, if nothing else. So, Who's but, this guy? But he's doing it. And and here's and the it. interesting thing is I have no idea. I don't remember the product, the service, the company, the kid, the guy who won the competition that mm -hmm. we voted. That, that was, I remember Fred. Okay. And Fred's doing it, doing exactly what he said. So I think that's great. So um, do, you, do you want to ask him about some cases? I was going to kick him off with uh, maybe the most interesting I, The, the, one, the one question probably because we, we're assuming that the audience knows a lot, and they do, but sometimes there are topics that they're a little slower on, is what's different about this approach than any other? Yeah, so right now when you raise private capital, generally you're going to have attorneys, uh, CPAs, different groups and advisors that are going to be chasing down and trying to put this entire process together for actually moving money, getting all the appropriate documents together, uh, appropriate side letters, disclosures, uh, there's no way to track progress. So basically what we do is we take that and have one centralized location, an easy dashboard where you can handle all those processes and actually track the progress along the way and make sure that everything's done right and there's no opportunity for uh, any of the gaps that occur when humans start to touch things. <laughs> oh, good luck with that. Um, so let me ask you this. Is this the, the level of capital raise that you facilitate? Is that different from friends and family? Or should companies um, looking at friends and family consider using your platform to do that better? Yeah, I mean, so we generally target, you know, if it's an individual company, we'll target companies raising $4 million and above. But we can, our product is very easy to use for anybody raising, you know, really any amount of capital. Um, and generally we look at a million, two million dollars right now is what, if you're raising more than that, you know, we can put a, an, basically an invest button on your website so you can send, a, send friends and family to the website and they can basically go and purchase a part of your company in 10 minutes or less. That's amazing. So, so tell us, uh, give us a couple of case studies. I think that's what our listeners would like to hear. How does this really work? In, in real life, and of course, I know you have to abide by all sorts of levels of confidentiality, but um, what is the most interesting capital raise that you all have seen so far? It would have to be uh, the producer, a well-known producer who's won a few uh, Tony Awards. He's uh, produced a number of Broadway plays, was raising a significant amount of capital to, uh, to fund his next, I think, three plays it was. Uh, and he had raised, you know, about half the money, and he wanted a new distribution channel to be able to get his product out there uh, for other people to review and to uh, purchase. So he came to us and we, what we call the invest button, he gave him the invest button and put it on his website. Um, and he was able to finish his raise by just sending out a link and saying, go here to invest. And uh, he had, we had a marketing partner we worked with and the marketing partner also got some uh, additional distribution and brought eyes to the website. And 
is very simple. Go to the page, click the link, enter some information, and uh, the process was done. You didn't, didn't even have to talk to a lawyer. That's, I, I, I'm speechless. I, I am too. That's that's breathtaking. That Now, this has really helped me understand what, what you uh, were talking about at the beginning. So um, how about the most meaningful deal you've ever seen? And, and where we were coming from with that question was the idea. You had a reason to start the company, and you may want to fill us in. But um, So a case that really reminded you why you started WealthForge. Um, so actually, I would have to say that was probably when we – first time we, you know, kind of ate our own proverbial dog food and we actually raised capital for ourselves using the system. Um, and I think the, the moment that it hit me was, you know, when Matt, my co-founder, was on a, on a train to New York and he was uh, signing subscription documents on his phone uh, and actually monitoring and tracking the progress of the raise on his phone. Um, and another moment was when uh, our operations guy who was tracking it came in one day and said, hey, we raised $300,000 today. Well, that's great. Nobody's talked to an investor. Nobody's had to do anything. We just sent out the link and People took care of it from there. That's amazing. But, I mean, obviously somebody had to do something to get to that point. Yeah, you, you just uh, you upload the, you have to upload the diligence documents. You need to have a, basically a deal room, and that's part of the system. You upload the documents, and once you upload the documents, we'll do the compliance review on our end, make sure the deal is properly structured. And from there, uh, you know, we'll, you can start, start sending people to the uh, – whatever appropriate link the link is, and you can start raising capital. Um, but once you upload the documents, we'll pretty much handle it from there. So I guess the messy part is getting their documents together and into your deal room, right? Yes. It's a, uh, you know, the way we, way we handle that is you just, you have, we have a very clear checklist about what we need, um, and we have analysts who are very experienced in understanding what the common pit, pitfalls are uh, and gathering that information. And, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of hand-holding, but... It's not that bad if you, uh, you know, the clearly structured process and some experienced people on our end to help shepherd everyone along. So, Bill, it would be fun. We should all go to the website, look at that checklist, and see if in our radio broadcasts, as we're educating listeners, um, we're we're helping them understand why our recommendations in different areas are important and maybe how it could apply to being ready to go to Wealthforge or do a capital raise down the road where you don't have to suddenly scramble to get these things together. Yeah, that really is a great idea because one of the things, uh, Fred, that we've been talking about on the show and for the listeners is that we operate the show off a database of best practices of companies that went from zero to huge, and typically it was self-financed. Now, at some stage in the process, uh, usually at the, at the third reinvention and the fourth, you're getting outside capital, but in the first early stages from cash, and we, we've been talking about what does next season look like January through March. And maybe this is part of where mm -hmm. we go with next season. So I definitely intend to, to download that and take a look at it. And let's get in a dialogue on it. Right. Okay. Yeah, we actually, we keep it, uh, we don't, we don't push it out publicly, but I can send oh. you, uh, I can send you our high level, high level diligence list and you can publish that out. That would be great. Or just amongst ourselves, amongst the, um, the crew. So I think you had a question for him about uh, when it doesn't work oh when it doesn't work or maybe some yeah <laughs> i think i think they've had a few cases yeah i'm sure you've had a couple of cases that were challenging and uh again you got your own confidentiality rules you got to adhere to but what in your experience when it doesn't work why doesn't it uh it generally doesn't work there's two issues one the deal is not very good 
Um, the return profile doesn't meet what investors are looking for. And the other thing is that there's a compliance issues that we just can't overcome um, and comfortably continue forward on somebody else's, uh, on the issuer's end. Okay. Um, and is there any age to the company? In other words, hmm. if it's not up to a certain age, it, it's just not possible because there's not a track record, there's not documentation, et cetera? No, it's, it's all, we can, we can take a uh, company from the beginning uh, or we can take a company that's more mature and later on it's actually easier to get companies started in the beginning because you track all that data in one location and you know all your information is in one area. Uh, it helps understanding who your investors are, how much they own, and just having all that documentation is actually very beneficial from the beginning. Okay, that sounds great. That does, and I'd love to talk to you about the return profile because that's um, a great phrase to summarize all we've been talking about on the financial segment of the show for right. several seasons now is it, it needs to be, there needs to be return to these owners, but this is also return to outside yeah. investors. Fred, thank you. That's all the time we have today, but thank you so much for joining us. And we will definitely get with you and follow up and get some more information and maybe pull you back in as, as things develop and we get questions from the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Fred. Great business idea. Congratulations. Congratulations. Right, thank you. And this is Richmond Biz Live, and we'll be back. Hello, I'm Linda Heath, President of Financial Holographics and your Chief Business Analyst. Our accounting and finance experts solve business mysteries for CEOs. 80% of private companies are struggling. Only 5% have it made. Where are you? Please join me in a panel of business experts at Richmond Biz Live Talk Radio on WLEE News Talk 990. Sponsored by Financial Holographics, where you don't have to know what to ask for to get what you need. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic full-life experience, contact me, Andy Schuler, for a free consultation on the web at metamorphosismc.com. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live. Richmond, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E dot C-O-M. You go to our website, and on the front page, you can click Watch Us, which will put us put you on the, the webcam, and you can watch the show being streamed. You can punch in Listen, and if you click Listen, then, uh, then you'll be listening to the show over the net. Obviously, if you're listening here, you don't need to do that. And your third option and the best option and the option you should be exercising, quite frankly, is to call us at 844-249-5483, 844-249-5483. If you don't call us, we can't answer your question. As Andy, as Andy Schulich, our next guest, has said to me many, many times, uh, not guest, thought leader, is that the answer is not important. It's the question. If you know what questions to ask, the answers are relatively easy to find. But before I introduce um, Andy back to the audience, I just want to do a shout out, starting out with our partner in crime, uh, Ryan in, in, in Portico here in the studio. Morning, Ryan. Good morning, Bill. How are you doing today? Pretty well, other than I guess it's afternoon. I, th I think I've been doing too much the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah. I lost busy track. week, huh? Bu really busy yeah, week. Yeah. How yeah. about you? Doing well, actually. Uh, looking forward to taking a trip up to New York City next weekend, catching a bus out oh. of Richmond. Uh, 60 bucks round trip. 
Not Good a bad deal. deal. Yeah, how long? Yeah. How long to get to the city? Um, I guess it takes about seven hours, well, maybe seven or eight hours from here. Okay. But I've got some family up there, so we've got the lodging. We don't have to worry. Oh, about you got it. with the name in Portico? Trip. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. you, that, yeah you got it. New wh- Jersey. Where are board. they? Where are they? Bronx? Uh, the, actually, New Brunswick, New Jersey. So oh. catch a train right into I New Jersey at the end of the day. Yeah. Growing up as a kid on Long Island, I know where that is. Okay. Yeah. Right on the outskirts right, there. All right. Well, thanks, Ryan. And yeah. of course, this show wouldn't be anything without Ryan. He's, he and, and our friends here at the studios at WLE News Talk 990 make this show possible. My other shout-outs uh, to my buddy Brian Taylor over at the African-American Central uh, Central Virginia Chamber of Commerce. I also want to shout-out to my partner in Kansas City, Missouri, who runs our Midwest operations, Rich Retzer, and to our West Coast and Canadian operations, uh, Kevin Granger from the beautiful city of Calgary. Um, as they would say it if you were up there. And so back to the subject at hand. Um, as everybody knows, we, the, today this, this show has been, is about what happens if my decision is not to sell the business but to reinvent it. And then what becomes absolutely essential is what do you reinvent? Sometimes it's the processes of the company, but the vast majority of companies at this stage who decide let's do it again, are coming out with new products and services. And that's the theme that Andy has had with us all season. So welcome back, Andy. Oh, it's glad to be back here. And, you know, back to your time. Maybe you're in a different time zone. I, I could be. I, you know, some people say I'm in a different universe. <laughs> I can understand and, that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, what, what did they say that there are – the physicists said that there's 13 – other alternative universes oh, out there? I, I'm not knowledgeable. Uh, my one son is, uh, he's not an astrophysicist, but he is. And so <laughs> I had Thanksgiving with him last week. And what did we talk about? Um, uh, what was that? Higgs bison was the conversation at the table. People were not happy with us. <laughs> so with that little comment, let's look at new products. All right. Um, you know, when developing a new product or service, it's, very important to verify that the product or the service to be released, uh, you know, will be desirable and accepted by the future customers because you don't want to waste your time and money. Uh, additionally, this effort will ensure that the initial pricing will not have to be reduced in order to attract future customers. Right. Because Andy, you've been in product development. I've been in product development. And at the very earliest stages, there's two things we do. One is we develop a set of customer specs and technical specs, customer specs being the features they want or the things it must do. Tech specs are the things we got to build into it. And the other thing we determine is what is the market price for that product or service because that creates a hurdle rate. And if we can't get to that hurdle rate, we can't get back to that on that payback period of saying it's going to take us three years to recoup our money. If you've got to lower the price on a new product, you probably have killed it. That is correct. And uh, it's very, very important to establish that price. And uh, in doing so, this is where it's sort of going back into what we had talked before, that by getting your um, suppliers involved, that even encourages and establishes a better pricing uh, scheme up front. And also is that sometimes we don't have the technical expertise to do this all ourselves and our suppliers have engineering staffs. Yes. And we can, you know, why, why create something when I can go to somebody that's got an engineer going, 
that don't work, but here's what does. Right. And besides that, they're, they're constantly educating their people, just like you're educating right. your people. So if everybody's educating, you reap the benefits of all that education. And, but the key thing is to take that knowledge and put it into action. Absolutely. And, and that's not only making sure you built it into whatever the product service is, right. but you have stored it on your platform, whatever it is, so that next time we can either go faster or avoid some of the mistakes. Most definitely. Right. Yeah. So you're only really inventing 20% and you're copying maybe 80% the old 80, 20 rule. Sounds right to me. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, last, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the ISO, which is the, uh, international standards organization. And we said that the process for developing a new product was the concept, uh, development stage where we went ahead and, uh, looked at the market survey and used that as a baseline. Then we took the architectural stage where we created the, uh, plan for the design stage. And then the design stage was doing the physical stuff, uh, doing the technical creation, coming up with uh, a prototype. And then, you know, as we said, we needed to go to a testing stage. And that's what we're right. focusing on this time. And, and that's a, where the prototype is produced and evaluated by people not associated with the project. That's very important, not associated. Hmm. So you get their unbiased feedback. And they are looking at it from a new set of eyes as something new they've okay. never seen before. Well, that makes a lot of sense because I think that a couple of times we didn't do well. Right. Is we had eyes that had been on this project from the beginning. And, of course, what would they say? Oh, yeah, it's going to be worth what we're charging. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, unfortunately, the mind gets biased in that. So, now, let's focus on, on testing, uh, you know, to reach the final release, release version of the product. Once the initial prototype is uh, produced by the design team, it is tested for, as you said, functionality, usability, compatibility, and acceptability to the design criteria. Any imperfections at this time, you know, are corrected, and maybe we see there's a few in improvements that we need. But the real question is, will the product or service be purchased? We don't know that yet. We're assuming, because of everything we've done, that we've created something that can be purchased. To answer this question, it is uh, a must to expose this new product or service to potential customers and get their evaluation and reaction. This you know, action can be called a beta test. It might be focus group testing mm -hmm. or other type designation. This testing you know, can be performed across many market segments to see if the marketing research criteria has been met because we want to keep emphasizing that. And this testing um, provides an insight into the amount, acceptance, possible demand of the product, say the impact of the customers and uh, our competitors have on our product, if there are any, because if you come out with the first one with right. the computer, you don't have any competitors. Right. You know? So, uh, and the acceptable selling price of the product and again you can search this out a little bit in these focus groups and That's say right. you know what's it worth to you what value does right. it bring to you right I did, just to give a, a personal example when i was first brought in to, by this company in southwest virginia they did not ask me to come in and do what i was doing I, we were doing market research they wanted to develop a new product and then we did the focus groups and we did the product development and what we established was that people are willing to pay anywhere between a 15 and 20% price premium 
for yeah. this new product. Now, it wasn't a brand, brand, brand new product in this particular case without giving it away. It was a new coating on the surface that would do something that healthcare facilities had a great deal of interest in. And we got from them that they would pay up to 20% more to have it. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why you, you spend this upfront time It's uh, to go ahead and create this. Well, you know, it, it's, this is also a way to observe the purchasers under the actual purchasing conditions to see if they will buy and then identify reasons why they won't buy. Oh, yeah. Being very candid with them, you know. What did you like? What didn't you like? Right. You know, uh, thus by performing these tests, uh, the chances of a new product to be, you know, successful increases significantly. And, and I think, your, Andy, your point before was if we've got some suppliers and customers involved in the development process, when we have these focus groups, the surprises should be small. Yes. It shouldn't be one of those, oh, hell, I wouldn't buy that type of responses after you've done all this R&D, so to speak, and yeah. now you're getting ready to introduce it, you know, uh, you can't, that you're too far along in the process. Right. And, uh, you know, if the product isn't enthusiastic to receive, it may be necessary to terminate it. And this is the time to terminate. It could have been somebody's own idea that they wanted to do. Right. Pet peeve or, or pet idea, you know. So, but... We've, yeah, invested a lot of money, but now what will it take if we go all the way through and develop it and then fail? Huge amounts of That's money. That's right. I but mean, the, you might be at one-tenth in the beginning, where if you go through, you get all that invested. You might even impact your good selling products. Right, and it also the impact it'll have on you is that it depends upon what time frame you take in that, that you want to think about. When I was working with AOL, and I'm talking about now in the 90s, their philosophy was to fail fast. In other words, mm -hmm. when they did something new, they did not do too many blockbusters. It was a small piece. They got it done very fast, so there wasn't a high cost of development. They got it out in the customer's hands, and they knew within weeks whether it was a winner or a loser. If it was a winner, then they'd add all the other things to it that they had tended to, and if it was a loser, then they just filed it away and said, Look, we won't do that again. What did we learn from it? That's right. And so, yeah, that's but very, very important. Fail fast. Yeah. Um, a secondary benefit of, of marketing testing uh, a new product is to determine the elements of the marketing program. And uh, this testing can look at and establish the marketing plan uh, with respect to advertising, distribution, sales, demographics, pricing, uh, the type of media to be used in advertising because there's such a variety of medias today. Yep. And uh, an initial planning production volume uh, that will be modified based upon actual sales. Methods to monitor and obtain feedback from customers. A lot of people forget to do that, but that's important. You just don't throw it on the market. You have to continue to do some testing and get some feedback to go ahead and, and assure that things are going the way you plan. And, of course, you can use that information as a testimonial because it would be nice to come out with something brand new and have... A, cust, a, cust, a, a couple of well-known companies going, this is pretty good stuff, yeah. or works real well, or whatever makes sense, yeah. whatever language you want to use there. Yeah. And so you come up with your final design, and you might say, okay, we want to do a final pre-launch small test just to verify we are on target. And that would be the final test that we really perform. You know. Okay. Um, so what is needed to establish the, the product pricing? 
Um, well, determining the selling price is both an art and a science. Uh, some of the factors to consider are, number one, the value to the customer. Second of all, what's the value to the producer or the service providers that the producer is working with? Impact of the new product and the entire product portfolio. Competitive products out there, if there are some. Differing value segments, such as price, value, and need. Products, total cost. You got to look at fixed and variable expenses, production, and overhead. Forecasting of unit volumes, revenue, and profit. Product life expectancy or need for upgrades, or you develop a basic product and then you plan to have enhancements. That's right. And, and also you plan the obsolescence. That is correct. Because of the, the beauty of this is either you make your product and services obsolete or your competition does. And typically what happens then is who's copying who. Yeah. And one important factor is really the reputation of the person supplying the product or service on their previous products. If they have a good reputation, you have customer bonding. And so your likelihood of a success is better. And the reputation of the provider's service with past and existing customers. Very, very important. And, and we look at all these, uh, thus, you know, the price should not have to be lowered in order to sell the product after the uh, initial introduction. But, you know, depending upon what kind of product you have, let's say you have a highly consumable product, special offers might be used to attract oh, yeah. well, a that's person different. to sample the product. That is different than a sale. That's correct. Ask the Japanese. The Japanese do not have sales on cars, yes. but they have special deals. That's right. So that is something to, especially in something that uh, a high volume uh, where a customer will come back and, and buy more and more of it, you basically tease them to go in there, sample it, they love it, you got them for life. So, thus in closing, the uh, product testing before final production release is an essential step to be performed in order to increase the probability of the new product's success. Included in this is the setting of the selling price, which if set properly, should not ever have to be reduced. And so that's where we are on uh, our talk today. And in two weeks, what we want to do is come back and we're going to say, look at what is what does it take to be the first to introduce new products and services into the market? Yeah, and that's going to be a great show because what Andy's talking about is how to change your brand identity. Then when people talk about who is the fastest, most innovative company and in getting new products and services to the market, you want to be on that list. Oh, most definitely. Yes. Just keep thinking Apple. Who else would stand in line all night for a damn phone? <laughs> and with that, thanks, Andy. Good seeing you again, my friend. Okay. Have okay. a good one. And we'll be back. Hi, Mike Carroll of Sandler Training here in Richmond. Do you know the three most commonly made sales mistakes? Are you or your salespeople at fault? Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your free report, The Three Biggest Sales Mistakes You Should Never Make. In this report, discover these unproductive sales strategies and what to do about them. Finally, take the pressure out of selling and reach your desired sales result. Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your copy now. 
Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live. Richmond, B-I-Z-L-I-V-E dot com. And when you get to the homepage, click the watch and you'll now be on our webcam. Click the listen and you'll be streaming live as an alternative to listen to us on broadcasting or as um, Jim Jacobs reminded me, the station manager, narrow casting of what we're doing here to a very select audience. Or you can join the conversation and you can do that by dialing 844-249. 5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844.B-I-Z-L-I-V-E. Okay. I've got, uh, I'm going to be doing the marketing and sales segment today uh, for my buddy, Mike Carroll. Um, His business is so good and he's rocking that he said, hey, Billy, can you handle it? And since it's our list of best practices, I can go there. So what we're going to talk about today is how do I uh, basically uh, commercialize my new product and services. So, you know, as you think about what we've been doing every other week, this week, two weeks ago, two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about, you want to reinvent the business. You want to, you want to grow it again, as opposed to last week and next week, we're going to be talking about growing and selling the businesses. Your decision is to leave. And so what Andy's been hitting on is building a process for the development of new products and services, which if you can become the quickest to market, which is where he's going in two weeks, it becomes part of your competitive advantage as a company. Now, how do I really turn that into a competitive advantage is think about what the theme has been on the product development, on the new product and service development. And that is to pull in, pull in existing customers, pull in existing suppliers, or maybe one customer, but certainly suppliers. And you're doing two things. On the supplier side, you're taking advantage of the fact that most of these suppliers are probably larger corporations than you, and they have staff who are in the business of designing and building things. I use the word engineering, but I'm going to use it loosely because I, I, if you're a manufacturing firm, yeah, they got engineers. If you offer services, then they have probably have expertise someplace else. But the deal is, is expertise you probably don't have on staff, and either you've got to get it from someplace, why hire it when you can pull it for them? And it's in their best interest because what you're help what you're helping them do is make more money as well. On the customer side is that in this case, it's usually singular uh, in in that you want to have a place to sell it. As Mike and I've talked about and Andy, many times this season, you never develop on spec. You never build something and go, well, you know, they will come because that is not the case in business. Only in Field of Dreams will you build a stadium and you got Shoeless Joe Jackson out in the outfield all of a sudden. Build it around a single client, and the idea is to take it inside that client, test it in the client, and then learn from it and modify it. I'm probably going to give the client a really good deal financially on this. I'm not going to take a loss, but I'm just not going to make any profit. I'm going to learn from it, and then what I want to do is I want to commercialize that offer so I can take it to all of my clients or future clients that 
this, in fact, fits. And I talked about a good friend of mine, Mike Hendren, when he worked for Ascend Communications. And about uh, about eight years ago, this is what Mike did. He he, nobody want um, the deal with this is real short. Is that uh, Walmart wanted to get a, a computer company in there to help them develop stuff, and uh, Ascend didn't do it. That that was not the market they were in, but they wanted to get into it. And a lot of the bigger companies turned it down because anybody that's done business with Walmart knows that it's a losing proposition is that Walmart's a big company. The initial contract, they're going to squeeze you hard on margin. And then every year afterwards, they're going to try to find a way to get more and more margin out. And so they passed it up. Ascend took it and they basically lost money on building this for Walmart. But guess what happened when they were done? They were able to publicize that they built this for Walmart and suddenly they had a $40 million company that was valued at $400 million. And Mike was very happy to take home a considerable chunk of that. And so this next stage around new product and service commercialization is how do I now take that product, take out the elements in it that are unique to this particular client, and how do I take it out to all of the clients I currently have or how do I take it to the clients in the adjacent markets, the markets that I'm not necessarily in, but the profile of those customers are much like the ones that I have right now. And so that is part of it. And so where do we start there? Well, we start this on the sales side is that many times Mike's talked about it a lot on the show is that we don't take advantage of the intelligence of the sales force. Now those salespeople are out there. There are top intelligence gathering organization in terms of they're out there with clients, they're competing against competitors, they know what's going on. So the first thing that we want to do as we're getting close to doing our launch with this specific account is we want to get the sales force in to say, okay, if this account works, if if this new offer, excuse me, works in this account, what do we have to do to that offer to take it out to all our other accounts? Because the difference, one of the differences is going to be is I'm probably going to more generalize it because the one that I built for this client is more specific on features. So one of the things that I want to do is I want to make sure that my sales force is quite clear on what features we have built into this that we believe are features that are unique or specific to this specific account that we're going to test with. Why? Because I want them to look at it and say, you know, that's not unique, that's not unique to this client and you can keep that spec. Or they'll go, you know what, that's not critical to them, but here are some specs that are. And so what you'll get some sense for is maybe what else do you need to do? And it's pretty simple to collect that data and look at it. And my rule of thumb is the my, my, my magic number is 75%. If I had people come back to me and say, 75% of our other accounts would want this feature, now I'm going to be going talking to my engineers or, or whoever's doing the product development, whoever that team is, and say, I need these additional features put in. So the first step is engage the sales force and find out what features are unique to this client that we can keep, what features are not uh, that are not part of our larger customer base that we need to pull out. And then the third thing is, what can we build in? At that point, then we have to make a decision. Do we want to build a mock-up? Or do we want to test the idea out? Personally, I would test the idea. So I would have the sales force then go out to these individual clients and perhaps take out um, one of the, a couple of their top people for lunch and say, what I'd like to do is I'd like to pick your brain on an idea that we're working on. 
but I need to hear from you of whether or not you even have any interest on it. And I would present that. I would not only present that to the person who's making the buying decision, but I also would present it to anybody who has got more of a technical role because as most of you know that are in sales, if you don't talk to the weenies, uh, eventually this, the, the sale is going to be stopped because they're going to go, uh, you're not going to do that. Uh, just as a quick aside, we had developed a uh, server-based training system uh, about 15 years ago, and uh, it was killer. The problem was it ate a lot of bandwidth. We went to one of our accounts, and they build cars in Michigan, so you can, you can kind of guess it from there. And it was perfect because with that many people, they were trying to figure out an economical way of doing training until the company that they had outsourced to and then bought, who was handling the technology, so you can kind of go there, uh, kind of a, a crazy guy who ran for president in the early 90s. That was his company. We had the tech guy go, I just built, I just spent millions of dollars to build bandwidth and you're not sucking it up. And so what we failed to do is we failed to sell this to the IT guys because we were selling it through the HR department and it was the wrong place to be. The HR department will buy most anything if it makes sense. It was the IT guys we didn't sell it to. So that's what I mean about you get a couple people together not only just the, the the buyer that you typically deal with, but the other technical people, and whether you take them to lunch or a dinner or to a presentation, I wouldn't call it a focus group, but you're going to basically do the same thing and say, we're thinking about building this. And I would personally relay who we have built it for. Because if those are competitors, now you got them thinking about, well, if they are buying this and it's got these features, you can kind of go, you you can complete my sentence. So that would be the second run. If, in fact, we had we had a, yes, we're interested in it, then the third pass here would be, okay, do we have the capacity as a company to build this in and what time can we do it? And I'll leave that to Andy when he goes next week because that's going to be part of his. Then the fourth issue would be, and I'll come back to it, is that I would put together a formal focus group just like Andy was talking about in the earlier stages where we were working with customers going, let's build this product together. I would pull in two or three of my other large accounts and keep them separate, but I would build it with them because the assumption is, is that they all are kind of, they all will want something that resembles the other. But the key issue here is that if you want to be an Apple, number one, you have to have innovative design and you got to be first to market because then what happens is you establish the standard for what the market should be. Then number two is that what you want to be able to do is to make modifications so you can spread it everywhere. Now, because of what Apple sells, it makes it a little bit more difficult conversation because there's not a whole lot of difference out there. If you're an Apple person, you buy Apple. I'm not an Apple person. It's not anything against Apple. I'm not a Windows person. It's nothing against Windows. I'm an open source guy. I'm a Linux guy because I'm committed to that business design. But that still doesn't stop me from going, Apple's pretty cool and does some pretty cool stuff. And there's no reason why you can't be pretty cool and do pretty cool stuff because it's more about the process of how you go about and build the things that you provide to your clients. So that's my kind of my thoughts on that particular topic on how do we commercialize that. And the kind of the end story here is if I go through the steps, step one is you tell the sales for building and you specifically focus on the features and identify the features that you believe are unique to the client that you're going to test it with and features you believe you can generalize. Number two is that then you collect from these individuals what they believe, 
because what they believe is probably truer than what you believe. And so you get a list of what in there you want to keep, what do you want to drop, what do you want to add. Then number three is you have them go test with their customers um, individually to find out whether there's any reception for this. Number four is for the areas that there are, then you go ahead and you build that new product. And really, it's not a new product service. It is an adaptation. My experience with this is, let me see, about two-thirds of the time, so off the top of my head, about two-thirds of the time, you wind up put building less in the product as you generalize it than putting in more. You're actually backing out specs, and you're putting in, you know, you're basically putting in less stuff. That's been my experience, but, you know, each one of us are in different industries. So take that with you. Uh, the podcast will be up today sometime between two and three, depending upon uh, my schedule here at the studio. And so what I'd like to do now is I'd just like to kind of close out with some thoughts about where we've been this season and and soliciting uh, all of you about where we want to go. Uh, let me start with this. The Everything we do here, and I have it in front of me, so if you're looking at the webcam, you can see all these pages. There are 249 attributes of companies that grew fast. Now, there's no way that you can take your company and put 249 in at once. You can't do that. Understand is that as I look at the stages of growth of the business, each one of these become critical at a certain point and they're accumulative. In other words, I take one of here, uh, one of these here and I'm looking at uh, total accountability. I just pulled one off here. The company holds individual and groups responsible for violating the company's values. Okay. That's one of the ones you do early in the company. You say, here's our vision, mission, and values. And that values are king. How we run this company is we hold people accountable who live by those values. Now, once you build that, and that's an early stage company, that will transcend it, and you should be doing that all the time, as opposed to, uh, I've just pulled another one randomly here, and that's process design, and specifically around statistical process controls. Uh, over 95% of the company's work processes are managed by statistical process controls. That is a company much later in its development. In fact, that's a company that we would have covered last season. Now, the reason I say it to you is that we've only covered about one-third of the best practices over our season. Next year, we're going to, in season th uh, season four, January to March, we're going to be looking at a totally different way of doing business. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a poll on our website at richmondbizlive.com. And on that poll, I'm going to ask, I'm going to solicit your input as our listeners about how should we go about season four? Because trust me, I can slice and dice this list up any way I'd like. And I, for 10 years, I, I could not run out of things to do at an hour of time. So really is what is it makes the most sense to you? One of the thoughts that we have, and I'll throw it out there as an example, is that every week we have a checklist of items. You download the checklist, you listen to the show, you take whatever notes you want, and then at the end of a season, then you'll have, uh, what, six times three, you'll have 18 to 20 pages in a book that would be worth thousands of dollars of consulting. So I don't know. That's what I'm going to put out there as an example. But go to our website richmondbizlive.com. Take a look for the polling. It's going to be on the front page and let us know what you'd like season four to look like. So with that, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. You're looking forward to a great December holiday season. We have Hanukkah, Christmas, and Kwanzaa coming. And so with that, wealth and prosperity to all listeners. Have a great business week.
Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbizlive.com and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week. For news from the worlds of home maintenance, travel, vehicles, and investing, stay tuned every Saturday to News Talk 990, WLEE Richmond. CBS News, I'm Steve Kaith, and the Obama administration's shakeup at the Defense Department now has a point man. White House correspondent Peter Mayer. President Obama is nominating former Deputy Defense Secretary Ashton Carter to lead the Pentagon. Mr. 